0: Hey y'all, what's going on? It's Jared D. King here, and uh, this is just going to be another episode of LGBTR. And uh, this is, of course, where I interview Black LGBTQ authors about their lives and their work. Uh, Today is going to be a replay from uh, my YouTube channel, Uh, but it's still very good. And uh, my guest is Jeffrey Spivey. He is uh, a men's fashion blogger. He is the author of "It's Okay if You Don't Read Everything," and you're going to get a ton of more information in the interview. So I'm not going <laughs> to run every I'm not going to run through everything right here. But it's a very interesting interview, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation. So uh, stay tuned and tune in. Thanks. Hey everybody, my name is Jared King and you are watching The Read. Tonight I have a very special guest. His name is Jeffrey Spivy and uh, his website is Uptown Bourgeois. His book is titled It's Okay If You Don't Read Everything and in both He's provided you with a ton of commentary and fun stories. Uh, but tonight, you're going to hear his story. Everything from being called in high school to how he became a bad bougie fashion uh, fashion blogger in the Big Apple. So ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, Jeffrey Spivy. Hey, Jeffrey, how's it going?
1: Hey, hello, hello, everybody. And then, sorry, my last name is Spivey. It's a common, common, common mispronunciation. Oh something else no it's very common very very common
0: okay all right thank you for uh correcting me on that so now i now i got it um so we're gonna so a lot of the questions that i came up with were kind of centered around uh your book if you don't read everything now i have to say first of all after reading it, it's definitely not okay if you don't read everything, but <laughs> because I start, I personally enjoyed a lot of your um, essays uh, in there. Um, so I'm gonna kind of jump right into it. Um, so in your book, you mentioned a number of times of living and or going to school in a predominantly white area. So where are you from and how have the demographics of your area affected you growing up as a youngster?
1: Uh, so originally I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, my dad was in the military, so we moved around quite a bit. So I, I lived in Ohio, like in a suburb of Dayton for roughly 10 years. Um, and then lived in DC for a year and then the rest of the time in Florida, um, before coming to New York. So, um, all of those places were small suburbs or tiny towns, predominantly white. Um, with the exception of living in D.C. Of course, living outside of D.C., that was the first and only time I lived in an area that was 100% Black, school, neighborhood, like everything. Um, So, I mean, for me, growing up, I never really felt like, you know, like I was the only Black kid or one of 10 Black kids. Like, I never, like, saw myself as separate or different. So, um, and, you know, I think in terms of, like, my my interactions with other black people i think that's where it started to kind of you know stick out to me that's where i started to feel kind of different like when i when i moved to dc that's when like everyone made it very apparent to me that i spoke proper english and you know <laughs> <laughs> that i like i dressed differently and that i was a i was a very different black kid from what they were used to so um i think that that probably had a bigger influence on me i think that experience than you know than living in in these areas that weren't particularly diverse okay yeah you know I it's funny cuz
0: I feel like a lot of us get um, I know I I personally have felt that sometimes it's uh, it's it's good to hear somebody else kind of go through kind of live that experience you know Um, so that you know that we're not we're not all (laughs) I'm not like the only one out here that's like, you know, that's felt a little bit different um, from everyone else. So, um, So in one essay, you discussed stereotypes you've had to endure as a tall black man. And in high school, the kids would call you Big Cock Jeff and in college, you preemptively joked about not playing basketball in order to not hear the inevitable question. Uh, judging by what you wrote it seems like you've changed your approach to these types of things Uh, so what have you learned from your experience of being stereotyped
1: um well you know like high school is different because you know when I wrote I wrote that essay like I was looking back on on high school with like a different lens so I think when I was in high school I didn't see it as as uh, as a stereotype, you know, like everybody was making fun of everyone for different things. So for me, that didn't stick out as like a racial stereotype. I just thought it was, you know, like it was my like embarrassing thing that I had to deal with when everybody else was pointing fingers at each other. And it just kind of became like this running joke. Um, I think in college, that's when it like I started to realize, like, you know, like I'm one of maybe like two or three other black people that are here like, on an academic scholarship and not on an athletic scholarship. So I went to Flagler College, which is a really uh, small private school in St. Augustine, Florida, um, like very conservative um, and definitely like mostly white. I mean, I wasn't the only black kid there by any means, but there were a lot of black guys there that played basketball. Um, and I was one of the, the few that did it. So, you know, I I felt like I stuck out for that reason there because everybody else kind of like stuck together. You know, you could be in like a just you see it in schools, you see it in some workplaces that, you know, like all the black kids tend to kind of group together and hang out together. Um, Cause they're yeah. looking for like that that bond with other people when they're in unfamiliar territory. So when I was there, like I didn't have that bond with those kids because they were all playing basketball together. And I was like the one who wasn't. Um, but now, I mean, it's, it, to me, I think it, now I like, I see, I see the value in like, in being around people who are from different backgrounds and, you know, using those opportunities to kind of, uh, you know, shed light on differences and point out to people when they're saying things that could be considered stereotypical. And um, and I think, yeah, my view of it is different now because I can look back on it and understand where it occurred and then, you know, I can recognize it now. You know, at 32, I can see it when it happens and say something and point it out. Yeah.
0: did you move to New York for college or after graduating? Um, and how soon after did you meet your husband, Hiro? Um
1: I moved to New York um, in 2007. So it was like uh, roughly two years after graduation. Um, I had interned here back when I was still in school. So I was like, I have to come back. I have to move to New York. I uh, Like no matter what happens, I'll just figure it out and make it happen. Um, so yeah, I moved in 2007. I didn't meet Jairo until um, the end of 2014. So there was a long period of dating and lots of funny and some awful stories in between.
0: <laughs> All right. So now I'm curious. Do you have like one awful story that you can share? Maybe that's not.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know. Off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. I mean, one time I went. I went on a date with someone like we were in Chinatown and like everything in Chinatown is cash only and I had never carried cash like ever. Um, And so I had been asked out on a date and the guy did not have enough money to pay for our meals, which was probably like $30 because like Chinatown is a pretty affordable neighborhood. So I had to leave the date to go get money from an ATM and I don't know, most people probably would have left, like, instead of going back, but I went back and paid for it. I should have left it there to, like, do the dishes or something, but. (laughs) Oh, my
0: goodness. Okay, so it got better as time moved on, and um, you were married late last year in in 2016. Mm -hmm. But um, why don't we go back to the beginning of this relationship? So how did you and Jairo meet?
1: Um, we met on OKCupid, which, you know, I think a lot of people don't think you can actually meet someone on OKCupid, but you can. <laughs> um, yeah, we met on OKCupid. He was away for New Year's Eve. He was in London. Uh, when I was here in New York, so we were kind of emailing each other. And uh, then we started exchanging voice messages, uh, like after we exchanged numbers. And um, when he got back to new york we went out on our first date and it was it was kind of instant uh, we connected over dinner um and then like that was it it was it was it was, it was instant it was, it was quick
0: okay so i want to go a little bit deeper with this so what was it about jairo that and the, and the connection that you both had that made things progress into marriage
1: um, well i mean i think i think initially for us um We both were very honest with each other like there was never any like there were no games there wasn't like you know any period like i'm gonna wait three days to answer this message because he didn't get back to me right away or like i'm gonna pretend like i don't want this so that i don't scare him away like there was there was never any of that like we both were very honest up front about what we were looking for what we wanted and um you know like with with that kind of with that pretense removed it was much easier to get to know him and um you know over time i mean I think the big connection is like we're we're kind of like yin and yang. Like I could be really serious and like very focused and he's very like easygoing and lighthearted and spontaneous. And we just we balance each other out really well. And um, I mean, that that works when you're planning to go out to do dinner. And then that works when, you know, you're, you're sharing a space with somebody and, um, you know, and you're around each other all the time and you're building a life together. So it, it, it works in like every facet of your life. Very cool. Okay. So what advice do you have
0: to uh, for the single men out there looking for their own happily ever after?
1: Yeah, for, for the single men, you know, just work on yourself first before you worry about connecting with someone else. Because before I met him, I had to spend like a whole year just kind of working on myself and meditating and writing and kind of figured out what I wanted to do with my life, and I think that I wouldn't have been in the right headspace to get into a really serious relationship if I hadn't done that first. So work on yourself. Okay, sounds like uh, pretty solid advice.
0: (laughs) Um, I know that I kind of had to take a step back from dating for a while myself to kind of just like, you know, figure out what I'm doing. So um, I'm back in the game, so (laughs) anybody out there? No, I'm just kidding. you you earned a degree in communication with a focus in print and broadcast journalism. So how did you end up in retail management, and what was that experience
1: like? Yeah, that's a million-dollar question. <laughs> um, I just, well, during school, like, my last semester, I was working... Uh, for Banana Republic, a a factory store that was in the same city where I went to college. And after college, I really didn't know what to do next or how to actually get a real job in journalism um, without having to relocate to some really small town in Texas or, you know, or get a job that wasn't going to pay me enough to live. So I went back home and moved back in with my mom and I kept working at (laughs) Banana Republic and Um, You know one thing led to another I got promoted kind of I think like within my first six months of being back at home And then things just kept going and going and then I I thought like I let me stay with this company and um, You know follow them to New York because this will be my way to get to New York and at least be able to make money Right away when I get there and then you know that was supposed to be like a six-month plan a year tops And then the next thing you know it's been 11 years Um, the experience was, I mean, retail is rough. Like, have you, have you done any, any time in retail?
0: Uh, I have. And <laughs> people who know me are probably laughing right now because I was working at Banana Republic for a good six years before I just <laughs> got myself together.
1: <laughs> so you really know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I know. I know. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a really demanding industry um you know I in different ways than what working as an entrepreneur can do like it just kind of dictates your life you have to do everything in your life around your job because if something goes wrong you have to stay later if like someone gets sick you have to go in like there's just there there's so much that's unpredictable about it plus um the job itself is just really demanding it's very physical um I think when I was when I was 22 and working in retail I loved it because it was It was different every day, you know, no two days were the same. You got to meet all these different people and like here in New York, I mean, you work in a store and there's thousands of people that come in in a given day. And, you know, um, most of my really, really good friends here in New York City, I met through work. So um, that was a really good experience, but it was also just really tough. And I knew uh, by, by the end of my time in retail that I was completely over it and I needed to get out and... Um, it kinda it, it kinda kicked me out towards the end and I was like, it's fine, like I don't want it anymore. I don't want to go back and I have to figure out how to avoid going back. So I did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: got, you, got you. So you went from retail to starting your own business, which includes freelance writing on Fiverr, and I think you discuss, we discussed earlier. You get you have a few other platforms that you're you're working on as far as freelance is concerned, and you also started a uh, fashion blog, um, Uptown Bourgeois. Uh, so, why choose fashion as your focus?
1: Uh, I mean, at the time, I thought that that would be um, a good way to differentiate myself because um, when you look at like fashion bloggers, especially male fashion bloggers, there's not. A heavy concentration of black ones um so i thought that it might be easy to kind of stick out and i thought you know coming from coming from retail uh fashion retail specifically i had some insider knowledge on how the business worked um and i thought too with the journalism degree that i could i could write stronger pieces than than what i had been reading <laughs> from people that i was following and you know and as a as a kid i always read gq and and Esquire and details when it was still being published and I always liked fashion and I wanted to be a part of the business somehow so instead of trying to get a job at GQ I just decided to create my own business (laughs) so uh, that's how that's how Autent Bourgeois started
0: okay so um, one thing you said, wait, details
1: isn't being published anymore. Is that is, is that what she said? <laughs> yeah, it went out of print in I think November 2015. And then they kind of uh-huh. consolidated it into GQ. So if you like, if you type in details.com, it just takes you to GQ. Oh,
0: interesting. Interesting. Yeah. See, I've been like like I think we met because I had a fashion blog um, at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm completely out of it at this point. So the fact that I don't know the details actually doesn't exist anymore is like pretty telling. I'm like in a completely different space now. Um, but uh, so there is an essay. Let's, I mean, we're going to talk about a little bit of fashion now since we're, since we're <laughs> on that topic. So there's an essay in your book where you defend men who wear shorts. Why did this need defending?
1: Um, when I wrote that, there was a, uh there was this article, I, I forget what publication it was in, but there's this uh, critic slash satirist named Fran Lebowitz. Um, and she she expressed opinions about a bunch of things, but one of them was that men should never wear shorts. And I just thought that was so absurd. But then there were all these other like response pieces popping up where people like agreed with her. It I was like, how how would men survive the summer if they don't wear shorts? Like that's so silly. It seems like something you would believe in like 1920. Uh, it just seemed odd to me so i wanted to write an article kind of like you know defending us because we deserve to be comfortable in summer too
0: right right i thought that i mean like when i when i read it i was like you know pretty much applauding every word you were saying because how 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 else am i supposed to i mean you know i I can't even fathom walking around in you know all summer long um it just gets way too much (laughs) but the other thing is Okay, so maybe I'm I'm revealing something a little too much, but my dad always tells me to not wear like I can't wear shorts if I have if you have like hairy legs. Yeah, a thing. I mean, because I didn't think anybody really cared, but <laughs> when he tells me that, that was... I get like self-conscious. <laughs>
1: that was I think that was part of like her argument it was about people having hairy legs or having like pasty legs that haven't been tanned or. It was like, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, but everyone, everyone should wear them. You have hairy legs, you have pasty legs, you know, whatever, whatever the problem is, you know, like just, just wear your shorts be comfortable, like get, get some air in there.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so then a few uh, pages later after that essay, you're condemning socks with sandals. So what's so wrong about that?
1: <laughs> it's just bad. <laughs> like... I, I didn't even know if there's like a official like like fashion uh, way to like to define like why it's bad but I mean uh, the fashion business apparently doesn't think it's bad because when I wrote that essay there was um I think like Tivana had released a lookbook of how to wear socks with sandals with like all these different looks and um, it was on a bunch of different runways during that season and I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's like it reminds me of like what the basketball players in high school would wear like when they were going to a game that was away from school. Like it's what they wore on the bus because they didn't care about what they were wearing, but it's weird that people would make the choice to to do it on purpose.
0: Right. <laughs> right. And I and, and I feel like that's probably the only time you should actually wear like I'm Pretty much just playing devil's advocate with this question. Because <laughs> I agree with you completely. But I'm like, that's like the only time you should wear socks with sandals. Otherwise, just like, don't do it at
1: all. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, um, all right. So, next question Why is it so important for the fashion industry to diversify its models?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it's important because, like, for all the, like, young kids like the young black kids looking through magazines or looking at thumbnails from runway shows you, they're looking for themselves like they're they're looking for something that represents them to be reflected back and um, what they see and you know when I was when I was a young kid when we were young kids I mean there weren't that many black models I mean you could name them on one hand I mean I really can't go further than Tyson really <laughs> But uh, it wasn't it wasn't that common um, and I I think that that creates identity issues for people when they they see one standard of beauty that doesn't reflect them, they feel like they're not included in that. So even though fashion can be kind of seen as frivolous and um, not important and that there's like bigger battles to fight, especially now in 2017, um, I think that's one place that people always look to. It's like, it's a means of escapism, but people always, they also look for reflections of themselves and they want Something or someone to reinforce the fact that their culture is beautiful and I think more diversity in fashion helps because that it's a really influential industry
0: Yeah, you know, I um, I def- Definitely agree with you. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me as far as writing is concerned is just kind of putting out a lot of different characters out there that you don't normally see. I think diversity is very important um, so So in, in in all areas, um especially fashion because that's one of the that's one of the places where people you know kind of get self-esteem from what they wear and um you know what they see on even on the runway you know they kind of get some idea of what what they should uh portray themselves and uh, yeah so i think it's i i agree with you it's very important um but so now to talk about fashion blogging i guess so you have a Blog titled "Is Fashion Blogging Dead?" Um, so, what is your answer to that question, um, and how has that impacted your blog content and led you to creating this book?
1: Um, I think. Well, to answer the question, I don't think it's. I don't think it's dead, but I think that it's dying because <laughs> um, it's kind of it's saturated. You know, I think when fashion blogging first started, there there was this group of people who were kind of rebelling against the standard in fashion and saying that like, I'm not going to depend on magazines. I think I dress cool and I'm going to show this to people. And those, those first movers ended up being like millionaires and they got invited to fashion week and they kind of disrupted um, the privacy and the exclusivity of fashion. And like, that's when it was cool. You know, now people post pictures on Instagram and they don't even have websites and they think that they have a fashion blog and there's just, there's like a saturation. All the photos look the same. Like, none of the fashion is really that exciting. There's not anything super unique about it. So I think the fact that there isn't anyone kind of rising above or standing out from another person is going to cause that That version of of fashion to kind of die off. There might be something else that replaces it, but I think it's not as impactful as it once was. and it, it's almost kind of uh, a parody of itself. like it's it's easier to make fun of it now than it is to actually like jump in and do something that's fresh or different. Um, so with with my blog, I think you know I started to realize that I wanted to do something more important. I had been kind of playing around with different ideas and topics before that, and You know, my background is in journalism, so, I mean, when I was 16, I was writing um, editorials about George W. Bush for, like, the City Paper, so, you know, I started out writing about things that were more serious, and I, I felt like I was being called back to do that with every fashion show, like, every time I had to pass by another blogger with their own photographer, you know, like, not even paying attention to the runway show, like, I just felt like there was something more important for me to do, so... Um, that's that's how I started coming up with different content and talking more about my writing journey and just my everyday life and um, assembling the book. The book was almost kind of like an experiment. I was like, I want to self-publish. I don't want to have to pitch to a publisher and wait for like a year for somebody to get back to me. Like, I just wanted to try to figure it out. So I just pulled together all these essays and wrote a couple new things, polished it up, put it out, and. Um, I think it, it 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 did better than I expected. because <laughs> um, you know, it was it, there was a big learning curve for me with this being my first one and doing it on my own. So um, I learned a lot. but in terms of content, like I just I really wanted it to be something that that kind of expressed um, different viewpoints on different issues and kind of served, you know, was kind of like a a black, queer male point of view to kind of counter all those other essay books that are out there. You know, there's, that's uh, the the female like comedian slash writer uh, essay collection is a big thing in publishing, you know, Mindy Kaling and Lena Dunham and Amy Poehler and like all these really funny women are writing these books. But, you know, I wanted to do kind of my own version of that. Yeah,
0: um, I think you definitely achieved that, um, you know, and I, I think i mentioned a few to, or you had mentioned even in your book that you called yourself the uh the black gay larry david <laughs> so, <laughs> so so can you explain for people why why you said that
1: um i mean when <laughs> i mean really like in the in the essay i describe um kind of sitting at dinner with one of my friends and this kind of like complaining about like like things that new yorkers complain about like um complaining about like public transportation and and, like, the different, like, weird, like, crotchety things, but I felt like I sounded like an old man, and we are sitting probably, like, two inches away from from the people that were next to us, because every restaurant in New York is, like, the size of a shoebox, and you're always sitting, like, right next to somebody, and they, like, kind of kept looking over, like, peeking over <laughs> while we were talking, and I was like, oh, my God, like, I kind of sound like Larry David right now, and then I started thinking through, like, all these instances in my life where I have like, complained about things in the same vein, but um I feel like like I relate to him because in the end he always means well. <laughs> even if <laughs> even if he like does something really crazy or you know really outrageous like he always means well.
0: Mm-hmm. Got you. Um is there anything is there any are there any topics or anything that um really fire you up or is, or is there anything that you um or that you're viewers or uh readers um kind of gravitate to when you write is there any specific topic or anything
1: um i mean i definitely think when i write about entrepreneurship i think a lot of people are kind of honing in on those pieces because um, i mean i'm connected to a lot of people that are business owners and i think there's a lot of people um in my readership that are considering working for themselves or getting into business so whenever I write something along those lines I think it gets a really good response um and then the, I wrote a piece last year about about hair about like black male natural hair and this decision that I was mulling over to grow out my hair and um I think like the essay did well but then I did like a video form of it um which is kind of taken off on YouTube so I think that there's definitely a definitely a big group of people out there that want to talk more about black identity. I think especially now and in the Trump era, people are ready to talk about identity and why it's important and what it means. And, um, I definitely want to explore that more, uh, this year.
0: Okay. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty good segue into the next question. I mean, at least the the first part of your answer, um, (laughs) about, um, you know, kind of jumping into your dreams and entrepreneurship and all that. Um, so in your book, you give us uh, all of the lessons you've learned from your experiences. Uh, what is your advice for people who feel stuck and are having a hard time kind of jumping into their dream?
1: Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, for me, kind of how it kind of happened, I mean, I kind of got chugged. So I made the I made the decision because I was like forced to decide. But I think people shouldn't wait until they're forced to decide. I think um, you know the minute that you realize that you're unhappy in a situation, you have to you you have to figure out what it is that you really want to do, and then do your research, do your homework, and figure out how you need to get started and how realistic it is for you to get there and. and you know, figure out your goals and, and how you're going to achieve it, even if it's just a little bit at a time. Um, Cause I, I definitely wouldn't recommend getting started the way I did because <laughs> I, um, i had left banana Republic. I went to work for a startup. I was only at that startup for like six months and it just really wasn't a good fit for me. So then I ended up without a job. And then it was only after I was unemployed that I decided I wanted to try to write. So I had like two or three full months where I made, absolutely no income while I was trying to figure out how to become a freelance writer and how to do that so I definitely wouldn't recommend people doing it that way <laughs> at least save money first before you just walk out and quit like <laughs> because uh yeah. you, you need money while you're figuring things out no matter what it is you're trying to do even if you just want to be a writer you still need money because you have to pay your rent so
0: yeah you know I uh I think it's it's all it, it almost always happens that you know you're you find yourself between a rock and a hard place before you have to kind of just find a way to make it work. Um, and i I feel like that's I feel like when you were in that situation, that may have been, you know, took what kind of took you off in that direction. Um, would you agree, or were you were you kind of planning? Were you kind of planning to do this? Um, no, I wasn't.
1: Working? I wasn't planning. I I mean, it was it was always in the back of my head, and I think. But once I, after I left uh, Banana and I was working at the startup, I just, I started thinking like more and more and more, like how can I have my own business? How can I figure this out? But I wasn't planning to leave anytime soon at all. It happened all kind of very suddenly. Um, And then for a while, I even kind of went back and forth, like maybe I should just get another job in retail and then try to figure it out while I'm doing that job. Like, I don't know if I'm brave enough, to like not work like and take the time to actually figure this out. Like I, I went back and forth about that for for a few months. Um, and then I just decided like I'm already out here. Like I might as well just stay and, and figure it out. I can't get any worse. <laughs> so it definitely didn't get any worse. It got better. So um, I just, I know I, w- I wouldn't change the way that I did it, but I would definitely advise others to, you know, to have a more uh, uh, deliberate approach. Gotcha.
0: Okay, so what's uh, next for you in work and in
1: life? Um, What's next in work? Um, I mean, right now I'm taking a a fiction writing class uh, with Gotham Writers Workshop, because I really want to do a fiction book this year. Um, And I think I'm gonna go the traditional route, and after I write it, start shopping it either to a small publisher or try to find an agent. Um, so I definitely have that on my radar. It's very big this year. Um, it's not that I, I don't think not that I couldn't write a fiction book before, but I think you know it's been a very long time since I've written any fiction. I I spend all week long writing nonfiction, and that comes to me very naturally. But fiction doesn't, and I found myself trying to write fiction the way I write nonfiction, and like some things work, but a lot of things don't transfer. So I'm I'm honing my craft right now and. I'm gonna be working on a book. Um, It's definitely, it's going to be a a diverse story. Um, I've I've had a story that I wanted to tell for a long time um, that involves, you know, a story about a a queer, black young man um, and navigating the dating world and relationship with family and these things. So I definitely want to dive into that before this year is over and, and I'm considering doing another essay book and publishing on my own before the year is over. Because you know, shopping a, a fiction book takes time, and even if I finish a book in 30 days, it's not going to get published this year <laughs> unless I do it myself. So <laughs> um, I definitely want to do another fiction book. And in life, we're just we're going to keep traveling and and having fun. And we're, we're going to get a dog this year, and <laughs> it's going to be our, our little person experiment. <laughs> Sure we- it's nice. What kind of dog well, are you uh are getting? Uh, I'm not sure. We're gonna adopt. So we'll do a rescue dog. So I'm not sure. We'll have to see, you know, oh, which little little man or woman is available for us when we when we go to the shelter.
0: Very cool. Um, I remember, you know, it's it's de- it'll definitely be an upgrade from your dying plant at least that you <laughs> that you mentioned <laughs> at the end of your. book. I thought that was hilarious,
1: by the way. Um, <laughs> yes, and she's still alive. The plan is still alive. <laughs>
0: oh, awesome. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we close, what do you want people watching to do right now?
1: Um what I want them to do, I want them to go to my website, you know, uptownbourgeois.com. There are a ton of essays to read, things that are not in the book, and I've done four essays already this year. Um, things about social media, about entrepreneurship, about protesting. So um, there, I think there's definitely some good long-form reads there. So I definitely want people to go and read and immerse themselves in the Uptown Bourgeois experience.
0: Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it. We had a great conversation with you.
1: And thanks for having me. This was great.
0: All right, and thank you all for watching. Uh, Lastly, you can escape to a magical world full of intrigue and adventure. Just click the card at the the corner and subscribe. Taste of my book, Pangea, Unsettled Land. I kind of botched that, but whatever, you get what I'm trying to say. So I'll talk to you guys later, bye. (laughs)